Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Coming up to four minutes after 12, a little bit of Soundgarden, the great Chris Cornell. 0800 150 is the number. You can text us here on double eight double three. An eclectic mix of sport to look forward to this afternoon. A little bit of an emphasis, I guess, on track and field, endurance-based events. And why not? As I said with Smithy earlier, track and field in this country really is probably in the best place it's been since... The Pan Am track meets of the 1970s and some wonderful names that used to come out here, the likes of Don Quarry, Raylene Boyle. You go back to Dixon, Quacks, Walker. And it's just a shame that we don't have any sort of more international track and field meets, but we've got enough domestic athletes certainly to put a really good show on. So the Sylvia Potts Classic set to go in Hawke's Bay over the weekend do encourage people to go along. Uh, Tian Welpton, formerly out of South Africa, now living here, uh, probably New Zealand's best sprinter. I think he's got a time of about 10.17. We'll check that with him. We're going to have a little bit of a chat to him about his form and what he's looking to try and get out of the weekend and what the ultimate goal is in 2023. We will catch up with four-time coast-to-coast champion, two-time New Zealand Ironman champion. He's been third twice at the Ironman World Championships, Braden Curry, the New Zealand half Ironman champs, are on at the Mount over the weekend. It is a huge race. It's one of the big races on the New Zealand triathlon calendar. You win this race and you sort of etch your name in New Zealand triathlon history. Some of the best have won it. And some of the best have failed. Very good women's field as well. We'll talk to Stephen Harris. We're going to do a little bit of Wakayama paddling, outrigger paddling. Big push to try and get this as part of the Olympic program. Huge. You've only got to go to local beaches around the country to sort of get a sense of how big that community is. So we'll find out a little bit more about the nationals. uh, What are the marquee events? How many different categories? How many different classes? So we'll do that at two o'clock this afternoon. Uh, you can text us here on the Temper Bedpost text machine on double eight double three. A couple of things. Just want to congratulate the Black Caps against India. Okay, they ended up losing that. I get it. I don't mind sports teams losing if we give ourselves a decent shot, if we put ourselves in the fight. And I think it's fair to say that the Black Caps did this yesterday in some pretty trying conditions in India against a very difficult Indian team. Uh, no Trent Bolt, no Tim Southey, first time since 2010. No Kane Williamson. A uh, number of other injuries that have gone through our bowling lineup. And so, yeah, good performance. 
chasing that total of 349 for eight and coming up slightly short, reaching 337. Of course, the standout performance from a young man who's, or not a young man, because he's not a young man, who's developing himself into a very good all-rounder in Michael Bracewell, 140. Other really good performances too, and really pleasing to see Finn Allen at the top of the order having a couple of sort of consistent um, opportunities, because I still think there's a little bit of a question mark over Finn Allen at the top of the order, um, whether he's patient enough at times. And Henry Nichols batting first drop, be a big question mark come the two tests against England in February, whether or not it should be Glenn Phillips on the side, whether or not it should be Henry Nichols. Mitch Santner also contributing with 57. So well done to the Black Caps. If you wish to comment on that, 0800 150 Last real opportunity in the subcontinent to get a bit of a feel for conditions before the Cricket World Cup. Blair Tinkner being given an opportunity was pretty expensive. 10 overs, 1 for 69. Lockie Ferguson, 10 overs, 1 for 77. And once again, Mitch Santner, Bracewell, very cost-effective, just highlighting the importance of off-speed bowling, slow bowling, spin bowling. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. I was just doing that little crossover with Ian Smith, and I wasn't sure what they were referencing in regards to Ruby Tui and the women's. Rugby World Cup team and they'll sweep the awards for the people's choice. They might be right, but what frustrates me is when the awards were announced, I read it on Stuff and they list all the different nominees. And we had Squash in there. We had Ajaz Patel's 10 wickets. We... um, I think cycling was included in it, Aaron Gate... But what annoyed me was, in the article, the video you clicked on was the woman winning the Rugby World Cup. The photo they showed was the woman winning the Rugby World Cup, almost influencing everybody's decision, almost deliberately pointing people to vote for the women's rugby team, almost sort of setting out an agenda of where they want this to go. And I disagree with it. Television One News do the same thing. Go back and show Ajis Patel's 10 wickets. Go back and show some of these other moments and remind us of how big they were at the time. But stop influencing us in terms of the way they do things. Most people wouldn't pick up on it. I'm not one of those people. Let's make it a level playing field. I mean, it's going to come down to a popularity contest anyway. And one of the biggest flaws with the popularity contest is which sport gets the most media. And so often a lot of what we call minor sports, which are truly global sports, don't really get the coverage and therefore are never going to pick them up. Is Ruby Tui singing Tu Te Na Iwi? Is that a moment? Is that a sporting moment? Or is that part of the periphery? To me, a sporting moment is a moment. Stephen Gerrard scoring FA Cup goal 2006 against West Ham. Um, if Ian Smith's listening, anybody that scores a goal against Tottenham Hotspur um, you know, they're moments to me. That other stuff, it's it's fluff. It's emotional and it's great, but it's fluff. Your thoughts on that? 
the way some things are contrived in the media, the influence of the media, on the way we think, the influence of the media, on the way we see our sport. Uh, the other thing too is, has anybody jumped on the phone and criticised the New Zealand women's football team for that 4-0 flogging against the United States? Oh, it was a young team, it was a development team, it's the United States, it's okay. It's not okay. Standard of football was appalling. Dreadful. And we need to have some improvement going forward. We've got a Women's Football World Cup coming here, but it needs a good New Zealand side, like the Women's Rugby World Cup, to try and get this country on board. A lot of ticket sales for this Women's Rugby World Cup, uh, Football World Cup, most of them, however, are in Australia. Most of the stadiums in Australia are selling out. Here, I understand ticket sales are pretty slow. It's going to be in July, it's going to be wet, it's going to be cold. 12,000 people tuning up. My 11-year-old daughter and a lot of her friends would really have enjoyed going to that yesterday. But me, somebody who's used to watching Liverpool Football Club, who's used to watching the highest standard of football, will struggle to spend money if that is the quality of football that I'm being presented. Now, I'd imagine if it was the United States playing, say, England, it would have been a much higher level and it would have been a lot more precise and there would have been a lot more precision. And it probably would have mimicked a little bit more the standard of football that I'm probably used to watching. And so I think if a lot of sport in this country, and particularly women's sport, which is evolving, let's be honest, it is sort of, um, what's the word? Well, our media try and manufacture the importance of it, but stuff that's organically growing, and that's what it should be, to get bums on seats, it's got to be of a decent standard. It's got to be of a high standard. There's too much to choose now, and I'm not going to go along and pay money based on sentiment or based on being told I need to go, and if I don't, somehow I'm a chauvinist. 0800-150-811 is the number. Hi, Cliff. Yeah, g'day, Mark. Yeah, you've got a boat with your wallet, with sport. It's, it's like having Sky or Spark or whatever. And if you're going to go to a game of something, it needs to be a good quality. Yeah, you might go for the novelty once if it's something slightly different. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, when it does come right down to it, I mean, if, if you've got the money in, say, Liverpool or in town, just as an example, or Manchester United here, um, or you've, say, got, at the moment, say, the Ferns taking on the United States, if you're asking me which one I'm going to spend my money on, I'm going to go to the one which is going to be the best product. Yeah, well, I remember I went to, when the stadium opened in Eden, we got a football game, the um, Football Kings versus uh, Brisbane, and it was a good game. It was a good surface, and it was a good standard of football. But, you know, my team, the West Ham, um, I like watching them. I like United as one of my favourite teams. So I, I watch a reasonable amount of top-quality football as well. But do I really want to watch or pay money to go watch something? It's a bit like women's cricket. I find it sometimes it's just a bit of a hard watch. Yeah, um, and look, and, know, I th- and, I think, and I think that's honest. I think that is honest. You're right. Now, it's great that you're inspiring a younger generation. There's a lot of young girls who will go along and want to watch it. Um, but y- you like me, have grown up watching the men's game, watching a fast-paced game, watching players playing very orthodox, and it is a hard watch when you see it being played differently to that. 
you want you want things to be something special. Hmm. You know, you were talking earlier on about the the um, the awards, and then they were, you were talking about John Walker and stuff. Well, I remember in the '74 Commonwealth Games was on. That was one of the the first of the big coloured television events that happened in New Zealand, and. Then after that, there was the South Pacific Games, I think, the following year, and there was top-quality runners and athletes came, and it was really... And they went around the country. There was there was events all over the place in, in, men's, in, in athletics. But that's all gone. I mean, there's still something, but it's a real shame that the, that doesn't happen. It's, it, I don't know, it's just a cost yeah, thing. Yeah, but see, see, I will go and watch and thoroughly enjoy women's track and field because I think the standard's really, really high. I mean, you go back to 1974 and you did have Raylene Boyle winning the 100 metres, you know, um, the great Australian. You did have guys like Don Quarry over here. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, and we'll say, and again, this is not about, there's a lot of women's sport that I thoroughly enjoy watching. I, you know, enjoyed watching Radakanu yesterday against Coco Goff. I enjoy watching you know, back in the days, the Chris Everett Lloyds and the Navarrete Lovers. Um, I enjoy watching the rivalry between Katie Ledecky and Ariana Titmus in the women's 400 and freestyle. Um, but in saying that, I didn't enjoy and anything really with that women's performance yesterday. And I thought the standard of football was appalling. Yeah, I think women's football can be very up and down. Sometimes the goalies let in floundery goals because they, they look far too tiny in the net. Which is which really lets them down. Um, one thing I think about: if the Black Ferns hadn't have won the rugby, if that girl had kicked the goal for France, what would we be thinking about women's rugby at the moment? Oh, look, I I, I still think I still think um, you know the game against France was a classic. It was a beauty. Look, I, I'm not taking anything away from what. That they did. I mean, that was remarkable, that final. I can understand the nationalism around. I thought Ricky Swinnell did a great job with her commentary, and I've said that to Ricky. Um, you know, like the, she missed the penalty, the French girl, but hey, haven't we done that? Um, drop goals in the extra time of the 95 Rugby World Cup, Andrew Mertens, and we couldn't quite get the job done. All I'm saying is, if we are going to then go to the public vote on the best sporting moment, let's just make sure the media are fair. Let's not make sure the media start putting an influence on it and start setting a political direction that they want. You know, they're desperate for women's sport to succeed. They're happy to inflate the importance of it. And getting results like this often reinforces them and says, hey, we were right. And the reality is they're not necessarily right. Hey, lovely, Cliff. Nice to have you on the programme. Hi, Scott. G'day, Watto. Hey, um, now it's interesting you talk about the women's football. Now the uh, England played in the last round of friendlies. England played the USA at Wembley and sold it out. Hmm. And also they England sold out the European final at Wembley as well. What is it? Eighty just showed under eighty-seven thousand people came to those games. Now in college football in America, it's massive for women. They absolutely they massive crowds, 40, 40, 50,000 people. Now we were really gutted. Now it's a real oversight by New Zealand football or whoever scheduled these games. If they'd scheduled those games on a Saturday afternoon, I reckon you would have sold out Westpac Stadium down there, or Sky Stadium, sorry now, isn't it? Because you know, we would have driven down from New Plymouth. My daughter loves um, oh. Alex Morgan and, and Trinity Rodman. You know, She wants to see them. And we've got tickets for the World Cup. Now, you talk about watching the pinnacle of sport. Now, New Zealand's treated to something special to have the USA in our country for their pool games. We've got the final from 2019, Netherlands versus 
USA at Sky Stadium. So we're going to that match, but before that, we're going to watch New Zealand play the Philippines. I bet you the two games are going to be vastly different. Um, well, no, that's right. Football, that, that's what I'm saying. You know? At the highest level, is the women's football is brilliant. I mean, I followed England in that European Cup campaign. Um, was who was it? Was it Denmark in the final of the Euro Championships? Was it Denmark? Um, any, yeah, and again, you get the United States, England. I mean, if, if, if in a perfect world, you'd have that as your opening game here at Eden Park instead of New Zealand, sort of Norway. Um, the other thing that we lack in this country, Brian, is scale. We just simply don't have the population here. And so based on a sport population, we actually need to make sure that the quality is good because there are so many sports, small population, times are tough economically, and if you want bums on seats, you get it. Now... New Zealand football and women's football is in a strong position because you're right, at a grassroots level, this sport is huge. Young girls will go along and watch it, and they will watch it in their droves. They'll go and watch netball in their droves. The challenge comes for that audience above young girls. The challenge comes for getting guys like me and my mates to go along and watch it, and I think that's across the board. And, yeah, I'd love to see what sort of crowd they get at Eden Park over the weekend. Hey, Brian, lovely to have you on the um, – Scott, Scott, was it? Yes, yeah, Scott, lovely to have you on the programme, mate. Greatly appreciate it. It is 20 minutes after 12. We'll come back with Brian and we'll come back with Zane. A hey, um, couple of quick points. Uh, one was the Black Caps. How good to see them fight back. Um, I, I turned off at about 1 o'clock this morning when they were down by about 360 runs, thinking it was all over. But um, how good to get, get 340-odd. Yeah, no, in the fight. That's all you want. Hey, um, the main point is you – Kind of triggered a thought pattern here with your discussions about athletics leading into the the girls the women's football last night, and it comes back to me as like you know the professional sport in general has generated this academy culture where the ever the wealthy kids have access to academies and the best coaching that they're almost in these production lines. You lose the you know kids don't play multiple sports to get multiple skill sets. Find what they're really best at. And they get this sense of entitlement, but then also you have the kids in the smaller rural areas. They just don't get good coaching. So, you know, you lose a big capture sample of a very small sample that yeah. you start with. Yeah, and look, I would spend more money investing coaches in the rural areas because I think kids play sport for the right reasons there. I think part of the success of New Zealand cycling in recent years, if you go through the cycling, they all come out of tiny little towns in this country. And I think sometimes they're concerned about kids who come from affluence, kids who come from all the big schools and kids who are handed everything on a plate. Um, and the other thing is clearly kids who are kids of, you know, cricketers, kids, they because of their names, they get given opportunities perhaps other kids uh, don't get. And those kids do go on and thrive, but you wonder what uh, a, a kid with maybe even more ability would have done given the same opportunity. So I'll just get back to the athletics one. So my daughter's one of these kids who changes sports every week, and I, you know, I encourage that to, to you know, try different things and see what she likes. And she's got into athletics recently, and it's the least academy focused. It's the least, you know, a number of competitive parents trying to force their kids through the sport, trying to either make a living out of their kids in the future as pro athletes, as pro rugby players, or golfers, or whatever, or live vicariously through their kids. So I really encourage parents who want their kids to just try sport for fun, try various things to try athletics because it's, there's so many multi-disciplines, but it just seems to be 
genuinely done for the fun because it's still quite amateur here in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, I agree with um, I agree with what you're saying, Zane. And the nice thing about athletic sports like triathlon swimming, it, there's no politics, mate. I, I mean, you can get a kid picked in a cricket team, and you wonder whether he's that good. And there's enough excuses in cricket to continue developing somebody. But in athletics, if you're good, you're good. It's there for everybody to see. No socioeconomic background, no nothing. And if you win, you win. And it's hard for people to ignore that. Hey, Zane, look, I, I, I just have to move along. But look, lovely to have you on the program as always. And uh, yeah, good luck to your daughter. And I totally concur when it comes to athletics and track and field. Hi, Brian. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Um, I'm ringing up to pass on an impassioned plea from everybody that's in my age group. I've been a fanatical rugby follower all my life, you know, and um, I'd watch a little bit of rugby league, a little bit of NRL when I lived in Australia. But I'm afraid that rugby and the powers that be are destroying the game and destroying their, um, the entire... Well, everything about it is bad, and it comes down to one thing. These idiots at the IRB, we've got a generation of rugby players now that think it's all about the rolling mall. I mean, William Webb Ellis will turn over his grave and roll. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, look at the, the English women's rugby team. You know, purposely bringing on big lumbering giants because the only way they can score at five is with everybody offside, which is what, it's, what it is. It's against the spirit of the game. Pick up the ball and run. It's the, and the amount of penalties that are incurred around the rolling ball, joining from the wrong side, pulling it down, etc., etc., etc. It's just killed the game as a spectacle, and it's got to be looked at. Yeah, don't disagree, Brian. That was one of the criticisms of the Women's Rugby World Cup was just the fact that the rolling mall, we saw it a lot in Super Rugby last year, take a penalty, kick to the 10-metre line, take the line out, get the rolling mall going, score a try. Uh, best thing IRB can do is actually just outlaw it because it is, it's just legalised offside. What will kill the rugby even more this year will be the Rugby World Cup because it'll be decided by officiating, it'll be decided by red cards and yellow cards. And the way they're ruled on at the moment is ridiculous as well. Uh, and also the fact that the game is just too top-heavy. Brian, a lot of people share your sentiment, and New Zealand rugby don't seem to be listening. And just a reminder, if you are listening to New Zealand rugby, God gave you two ears and one mouth. He wasn't stupid. Twenty-seven minutes away from one o'clock. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight double one. Hoping to catch up very shortly with Tian Welpton, New Zealand's number one men's sprinter. Now that Eddie Osei Nakisha has decided to take up a college scholarship in Hawaii and play a little bit of American football. Um, I love this text. What I will give you, Simon, I'm going to give Simon from Seddon some credit because Simon from Seddon at least put his name to it. Unless, in fact, it's not Simon from Seddon, but he says he's Simon from Seddon. He says Watson. Stop bringing your politics into this. The gender-biased media. Give it a break. The Black Ferns line out and Ruby Tui singing with the moments of the year by a country mile. Simon, that is your opinion. They galvanised the country. Patel was a non-event. Great statistically, but on, but on an overly sprint-friendly pitch. Go down the street and ask Joe Blow who Arjaz is. They wouldn't know. 
His moment died the next day. Yes, because he wasn't put up on a pedestal. There wasn't a political agenda to promote Indian sports people in this country. Only three times in history it's been done, Simon. Oh, spin a friendly pitch. Okay, so why didn't anybody take 10 wickets last night? And what about all the other countries that have played spin in India over the years? How come they've never done it? And then he goes on to say, the same conversation you had on Tuesday morning, blah, 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 send a giant media. Of course it's been, where's the negative critique today of the women's football team? Where was the negative critique around any of the women's rugby performances whatsoever? Simon, you don't get it, my good friend. You're one of these people who clearly wants religion taught in schools as long as it's your religion. You're all very well, Simon, for having government legislate against hate speech. And you, Simon, can determine what that hate speech is. Anyway, let's change it up. Let's put a smile on my face. Three deep breaths, Mark, because I'm about to talk the sport I love the most. I'm about to talk to a, a young man, a legend. Well, not quite a legend yet, but he's trying, hoping to be a legend. Jan Welpton, good afternoon. Welcome. How are you? Good afternoon. How's it going, guys? Very, very good. Thank you, my good man. Uh, look, uh, firstly, Eddie Osei Nakishi, your great New Zealand rival. He's taken up a scholarship. Are you going to miss the big fella? I certainly am, but luckily he'll still be competing this season as the uh, US colleges only kick off their sort of years in June. So I should still get to run against the big lad one or two more times. He's probably got slightly the wood on you. Has he run slightly quicker than you, Tian? Oh, it's pretty close at the moment, I think. We'll have to see. I've, I've run some good times so far this season already. So uh, I'm pretty excited to run against him again. Maybe we can have a bit of a rematch. Tian, a lot of uh, controversy over selection of the sprinters last year for the Commonwealth Games and pretty disappointing and, I, I guess, discouraging for a lot of them. Um, how have you sort of coped with that? What, what still drives you and what still motivates you? Well, what motivates me personally is just passion for the sport. You know, there's, there's always going to be things about selection and there's always going to be things trying to hold you back. But as long as you're adamant that you can make it and you believe in yourself and you're passionate about the sport, then it doesn't really matter. You, you know, you've just got to put in the hard work and just go and get it. Mm. OK, so we've got the Sylvia Potts meet this weekend. Uh, in regards to your peak performance, in regards to your season, where does this sort of fit in and what sort of shape are you in? I'm in pretty good form. Um, on the 7th of January this year, I ran a 10.14 down in Timaru. Wow. Uh, albeit in pretty windy and rainy conditions. But uh, very much looking forward to POTS. It's one of my favourite meets of the year. Um, and it's also where I broke the resident record last year this time. So very excited to, to head down. Unfortunately, the weather's not looking like it's going to be quite the picturesque day that it was last year. But I'm still very much excited. It's the first big comp of the season. Um, I'm very excited to see all my friends from Auckland and all the other athletes and yeah, I'm pro- I think it'll be I think it'll be good fun and yeah, give me a good wind and who knows what I can pull out of the bag. We'll have to see. <laughs> yeah, and where are likely the challenges to come from? Um, likely challenges. I think Hamish Gill is running the hundred and he clocked a pretty quick two hundred pretty recently, so he's probably the biggest challenge. Um, I haven't checked the interest yet, but there might be other quick runners there. So hopefully, some people to to help push along and to help drag along. Okay, are you just competing in the 100? Is, is there a 200 men's event as well? There is a 200. However, I'll just be doing the 100 uh, mm. this weekend. Mm. Now, the key thing to running well, clearly you want perfect conditions, but how important is the start and do you consider yourself a good starter? 
Yes, I've always considered myself a good starter. I'd say that's probably the strongest part of my race. And uh, in 100 metres, that's pretty crucial because if you can get a good start and you can get out ahead of the field, uh, then oftentimes they just won't even catch up to you. So very happy to be a good starter, but you know how it goes on the day. Uh, you could get a good start or you could not get a good start. So I've been putting lots of practice into that over the winter uh, and hoping that uh, that practice and hard work will pay off. Mm-hmm. Okay, tell us a little bit about how you work on your starts. What sort of supplementary work? Do you do a lot of work in the gym? I mean, when you say, hey, look, today's today's start day, what does that involve? So to work on your starts, it's definitely a lot of explosive strength. So we do do a lot of work in the gym, you know, We'll do stuff like uh, faster centric and ballistic, rapid stuff, you know, trip squats, quarter squats, lots of jumps, uh, lots of plyometrics, and generally just working on that sort of quad hammy glute strength to be able to make sure you can explode and jump out of the blocks. Uh, whereas top speed is uh, more about being efficient, then you're not pushing anymore, so then you're just kind of mm. bouncing along, and for that you want stiff muscles and stiff tendons. Now, in more endurance-based events, there is a lot of periodization, base strength, speed work, um, and it's easier, I think, for pick athletes at what phase they're in. In, in regards to you, Tian, is it similar in sprinting? And what phase, oh, would, yes, you, what phase yeah. would you describe yourself in at the moment? Currently we're in what I would call a sharpening up phase. Where it's the weekend of competition, so we're not doing anything too heavy or anything too crazy because there's no point in trying to make gains now. It's, it's, you know, it's go time, so we're just keeping the nervous system firing, keeping the muscles on everything, and making sure that we're moving lightweight quite fast. Okay, and so we've got Sylvia Potts, we've got a number of other big track and field meets coming up, we've got the national championships. What What is the pinnacle event for you? Are, are you likely to go and compete in Australia at any point? Definitely, yes. I'll definitely be heading over to Australia uh, for the Brisbane Track Classic and hopefully uh, the Melbourne meet. That's a gold meet. Um, however, that's invitational, so I have to secure an invite for that first. I uh, haven't got one yet, so fingers crossed I'll get one for that. Mm-hmm. Okay, now um, Sylvia Potts, one of the great events in um, a Potts Classic, but in memory of the great Sylvia Potts and of course your son Richard Potts, a hell of an athlete, uh, Richard's father as well, um, a hell of a coach in his day. Uh, when you're not running the 100, is there a particular event you enjoy watching? I quite enjoy to, to watch the four. I think it's a pretty gruelling event and it's always a real tough one. Uh, and I do also very much enjoy the more technical events, some of the field events like the, the long jump or the pole vault. Um, or whatever events my friends are doing normally, I like to go and cheer them on. Mm. And who are some of your friends that are competing over the weekend? Who are those that are you closest to in the athletics fraternity? One of my squad mates is coming up with me. She'll be competing in the 400 metres. That's Rosie Elliott. Uh, she went to World Champs last year, so fantastic athlete and hoping she can bring out a nice big season's opener as well. Mm, fantastic. Now, um, I was going to ask you that. You mentioned the 400. What do you reckon you could run for 400, big guy? I mean, you've got plenty of speed. You'd be pretty quick Perfect. through the first 150. Oh, yeah. I've had lots of people, you know, telling me, you should go run a four, you should try a four. Uh, I'm not quite sure if I'd be cut out to run that far. I can run a pretty good three, but I think that last 100 metres might be uh, me crawling to the finish line. So not too sure what I could clock, maybe a, a 47-something. Maybe I can surprise myself and clock a 46, but not really sure. It's never something I've done, even in training. So, um would have to maybe give it a go one day. Never say never. Hey, look, um, we're trying to get pe- people along. We clearly want to promote the Potts Classic. Why should people in the Hawke's Bay region get along? Oh, definitely come down and watch. I think it's a fantastic event. They do a great job of live streaming it as well. So if you want to check it out on the internet, you can go on the YouTube channel. It's on Sky Sports Next. I'm not sure if it'll be on TV, but definitely will be live streamed on YouTube. There'll be plenty of you know top-tier athletes, people that went to world champs, international athletes, big athletes. So if you love sport, if you want to see some of New Zealand's top sports people competing at their peak, then head down. Yeah, it'll be good fun.
Tian, welcome. We appreciate your time this afternoon on the program. Thank you for joining us. No worries. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good day. There you go, Tian Wapton, New Zealand's leading 100-metre sprinter, along with Eddie Osei-Nikisha. Um, Eddie won't be competing over the weekend, but certainly great to watch the 100-metre event. It is spectacular. 18 minutes away from 1 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. Telephone numbers 0800 150 Text us here on double eight double three. Just going back to Simon's text, how he just so can quickly dismiss anything else. Um... Don't underestimate, women's rugby's always had been given um, preferential treatment in this country, and it's always been for other, hard for other sports to get some coverage. And Simon's saying there's no bias. Well, there is media bias. Now, take an example of like sailing. Before the America's Cup came along in 86 and 87, no one was really that interested in it. Suddenly it came along, Australia had won the America's Cup, which was big news here, and then suddenly we enter it. You take Peter Montgomery, you put it on television, and now we've become a cycling mad nation. And I would imagine that a lot of those sports that are nominated, if you did a similar thing and gave them the same airtime as rugby, I think people's perception of those sports, people's perceptions of those achievements would be perhaps a lot greater than they are. And so if you don't think there's a media bias in this country, um, then... Yeah, I feel a little bit sorry for you. You believe what you read. 17 minutes away from one. That's Risa. Tossed it towards Morientes. And then Gerard! Oh! Oh, goodness me! What a strike from Steven Gerard! I told you, I told you, don't write them off. Well... That's something. This game has had absolutely everything. Captain, fantastic or what? Oh, what a strike. I mean, five minutes before, he was hobbling, he was struggling with Trump, and it just dropped to him, and he's obviously made his mind up, right, this is going in the net or it's going in the stand. I'm just giving it everything I've got left. And he struck it perfectly. He's got no chance. He's 35 yards out. It's flown in that back corner. Oh, Shaka Hislop, eh? Remember the days, Stephen Gerrard, 2006, FA Cup final against West Ham, down 3-2, 90 minutes ticks over, Gerrard, 3-3, to go and win the penalties and back up what they did at Atatürk Stadium back in 2004 in one of the great finals, one of the great moments. Going to put a little bit of emphasis on that after uh, 1 o'clock, just look at some commentary highlights and some of those great moments and maybe create a little bit of a discussion. Uh, Simon from Seddon who continues to text and Simon, switch off, mate. I learned how to use an off button when I was five. I can't be bothered with you. You're boring me, OK? You're just boring me, Simon. Um, right, um, right. Not sure what we're doing now. What have we got? We've got four minutes left, haven't we? Right, coming up after one o'clock, um, Braden Curry on the programme. Four-time coast-to-coast champion, two-time New Zealand Ironman champion, twice third at the Ironman World Championships. Now, I've been around the sport. I mean, it's not it's not nearly as good as, according to Simon, as Ruby Tui singing Tu Te Hiwi, but I mean, he's getting close to it. Um I've been around that sport a long time. I've been lucky enough to spend time with Bevan Doherty, Hamish Carter, uh, the likes of Cameron Brown, and those guys are hard hard bastards. It's the only way you can describe them. Just mentally tough, a head like granite. Braden Curry is almost at another level. I've never seen a guy being able to push himself so hard for so long and suffer 
so much in the name of trying to win a race. How you go to that dark place, how you lock yourself in the hurt box for that long and throw the key away is mind-boggling. You're basically sitting there going, I'll pull out my own fingernails. There's one. I'll pull out the second one, two. Hey, give me a cigarette lighter. I'll burn my lip with it. Are you going to go before I'm going to go? Are you going to pop before I pop? It is unbelievable what this guy can do. And so the Tauranga, or Mount Manganui, or what used to be known as the Porta Tauranga, it's no longer that, um, Tauranga, Mount Manganui Half Ironman this weekend, big, big race. Um, a lot of the greats have won it, is in action. And it should be a very, very good race up front. Same on the women's side. Huge crowds, large age group contingent. I mean, predominantly what it's all about, it's all about the age group athletes and those that are just simply out there finishing it. So we'll talk to Braden Curry, we'll find out a little bit more about what makes him tick, um, why he is so damn hard. And again, as I said, four-time coast-to-coast champion as well. Uh, to get, in fact, he's been fifth up in Hawaii, not third, my apologies, fifth in Hawaii, but he was third at the Ironman World Championships last year, which weren't staged in Hawaii due to COVID. They were staged in Utah. But he was in a position, if he had probably managed his race a little bit better, probably could have got himself on the podium. But this guy's not interested in managing this race. He's there to win. He is a winner. A winner. Why doesn't he get any media coverage? There's no bias in the media, according to Simon. None whatsoever. But no one cares. That's right, no one cares. Got to have media for people to care. America's Cup, case in point. Six and a half minutes away from one o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. Two and a half minutes away from one o'clock. You are listening to SENZ. As I said, we will catch up with Braden Curry. We're going to talk a little bit of Wakayama paddling. We're going to bring you some sporting highlights and some wonderful pieces of commentary from over the years where maybe the commentators get so caught up in the moment that they break some of the conventions, but in a funny kind of way, it adds to the drama adds to the drama um, and what, what were we just trying to sorry I'm just trying to um, just having a little bit of a mental block even us even we occasionally have some mental blocks on the radio used to really wind me up when I started on radio and it wasn't always fluent and then I sort of thought well but, but that's just the way it is that's the way it is. We finish at three. I was thinking, what have we gone on at three? But we actually finish at three because we've got the Phoenix show with Ricardo between three and four. Now, look, I, I just want to say this. If you are travelling around the country at any point, you see the fuel gauge starting to head towards empty. Gull, fueling your mission all year round. Please fill up at Gull. They're sponsoring. They're supporting. They're a commercial partner of this station, which allows us to go to air. The text machine is the temper bedpost text machine. They've got a range of mattresses and adjustable bases that adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. I love the way the old beds, the temper zone beds and stuff, they, you know. See, see, I've been working out these days, mate, so, you know, I've got the old 13-pack. People call them the lines of longitude and latitude. Wake up in the morning, they're sort of on the mattress. There you go. Look, there's Antarctica. Oh, let's go up four degrees and hang left. There's Australia, you know. I'm just talking myself up, mate. No one else does. Hey, Seth called you a handsome man. I'm being unrealistic. I'm just confusing a belief with ambition. It's just where I want to be. I want people to go, there's the lines of longitude and latitude. <laughs> Going up to one o'clock.
Four minutes after one, uh, we're playing that because the boys are back in town for the totaling half over the weekend. But the big story that's just breaking is that Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has announced her resignation and that she will be standing down as Prime Minister of this country. So that story just breaking. Uh, we'll try and bring you a few more details. We are a sports station, clearly. We are an entertainment station, but that clearly is significant news for this country. So just announcing the news there, and we'll try and find out a bit more information that Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has announced that she will finish up on the 7th of February. So big news story breaking. Um, but we're going to go back to sport because we've got the two-time New Zealand Ironman champion, four-time coast-to-coast champion on the programme. Uh, one of the hardest bastards I've ever seen compete in any sport. Uh, how he pushes himself to the degree that he pushes himself to is beyond comprehension. His name is Braden Curry. Afternoon to you, Braden. Welcome. Yeah, good afternoon, Waddy. Nothing worse than being upstaged by the Prime Minister of New Zealand, is it, Braden? Oh, mate, I had my moment on radio. I got held back by uh, Cindy's news, so um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, Anyway, Braden, I've just lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> Let's go to politics. Eh? Yeah. How are you? How are you? How, are you? How is Braden Curry? Uh, I'm great, mate. Yeah, I'm fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. body's healthy. Uh, we're good. Yeah, now mountain, look, we're primed, we're ready to go. Yeah, this is a big race in the mount. I say this. This is um, one of the big races on the domestic calendar. It's got such a rich history. You've stood on the podium a number of times. Uh, you've also been beaten closely a number of times. How is this race shaping up, and what sort of form are you in? Um, yeah, I mean, it's early season for me, uh, always is this race, and uh, yeah, but things have been going pretty well, had a good summer, good Christmas uh, so far here in New Zealand, um, it's always a relatively short build for this one, um, coming off a bit of an off-season, and uh, but yeah, things have been looking good, and uh, competition's looking good as well. Yeah, how disappointing was it last year in great shape? Uh, Hawaiian Ironman, really great build-up, only to pick up COVID literally the night before the race was about to be started. Yeah, that was uh, pretty frustrating. Um, yeah, just is what it is though, isn't it? You, you put six months of work into a, to an event like that and uh, probably in, I'd say, just the form of my life really, uh, ready to go for it and then put a put it all on that race um, to go and get sick uh, just a couple of days out from the race and having to pull pin uh, was pretty frustrating but you know you can only uh, you can only do what you can do mm. yeah and then I, I don't know how you describe it I'd describe it as stupid news but Hawaiian Ironman that's gone through a bit of a revolution um, they've decided that due to numbers that they're going to alternate the race in Hawaii, the World Championships, the great race. One year it's going to be women, the following year it's going to be men. This year it's going to be women. So that, Braden, is another um, yeah, a, another setback for you because you've had a couple of years with COVID. Uh, last year with, um, again, with actually picking up COVID itself. And yes, it's nice to win a World Championships, but you want to win the World Championships in Hawaii, don't you? Uh, my opinion, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm probably in the same boat as you, mate. The, the, just like every sport, uh, where you know it's rich in history, and we're all um, driven by, I guess, idols in sport and people we've seen uh, when we're coming through uh, and admire the way they race. And you know, to me, uh, the icons of the sport were created in that event, um, and that's where you know where the best in the world come to race on one of the toughest courses in the world and the 
the beauty of it is the platform, the stage is pretty known. Um, and really, at the end of the day, it's you know who's best um, prepared and and who has the best performance. And um, yeah, I just think taking it away from there uh, is uh, is pretty sad for the event. I think it's also uh, splitting the males and the females um, uh, racing in different destinations. I think uh, yeah makes quite a lot of difference to the sport itself. Yeah, I mean, they're looking at Nice for the men's and alternative years for the women's, and Nice has got its own history, more over the half Ironman distance, the great Rick Wells one there. But it's a very contrasting course, isn't it? It's very much a climber's course. It's very much sort of set up for the Europeans. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a hilly course, and, uh, yeah, taking away, I guess, that travel element as well. So um, it will definitely favour the Europeans uh in this race uh well this year um but uh yeah just kind of is what it is and i mean i've got two more years of racing in my mind so um that means one more shot at kona and and i'll do another world champs on the way okay let's get back to the half this weekend always a good field the likes of jack moody um simon cochran uh will be there there was rumors that javier gomez the great spanish athlete the five-time world champion olympic silver medalist was going to be on the start line but i don't see his name on the list you've got the likes of mike phillips his younger brother um just how hard is it to win this race i mean kyle smith has beaten you a couple of times in recent years as well he's not on the start line though uh apparently kyle is uh so we'll see um they'll be i'll be disappointed if he wasn't really no, well, I, I hope you're right. I'm just going through the list. I'm just going through the list I looked at, but I hope you're right. All oh, right, maybe a different start list. Maybe he pulled himself off. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it's always a tough, tough race here. It's always a good race. Um, it's a good, fun atmosphere to race in, and uh, yeah, racing the mount. It's uh, such an iconic event that. Uh, when I sort of heard that there was going to be a good field and uh, I was starting to feel a bit of fitness coming on, uh, I sort of had FOMO and decided I, I better get here and uh, better get racing. I mean, I've interviewed you a number of times and I've probably asked you this question each time I've spoken to you, but a slightly different audience. I mean, you are tough, mate. You're incredibly tough. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. Where do you get that from, mate? <laughs> um, toughness or stupidity, mate? I don't know. Uh I think, uh, I mean, I just love it. I do love it. I think um, I love suffering and I love working hard and that's probably the two key elements to the sport. Um, What's your, you know, fake it till you make it or something, Um, ambition or ability. Uh, You know, I definitely drive forward with my uh, ambition and um, the ability tends to follow most of the time. If you say, in a, let's just say a guy like Jack Moody, he's an outstanding runner, is running alongside of you on the weekend. Are you thinking about what he's doing? Are you trying to play head games with him? Are you trying to just put him in the box? Is there, Or do you just purely focus on what Braden Curry's got to do? Um, no, I just race the athletes, really. Uh, it's sort of, I don't really focus on myself. Um, I race the competition that's around me and... Yeah, if Jack is having a having a stunning day and we're running side by side, then uh, I'll be racing him and trying to sink him as deep as I can possibly send him um, and hope that he, he breaks before I do. Mm. But you're always very gracious. When you do get out, outrun, you, you never you never sit there and make excuses. You normally just go up and shake their hand and go, well done, you, you, I was just simply outgunned today by the better man. And that's what I think people also admire about you. Yeah, I try not to... Uh, let I guess my competitive spirit 
uh, turn into frustration or anger. Um, and I, I definitely try to use that more on the course. So uh, I like to think that once the race is over, I'm pretty happy to sit down and have a beer with anyone and uh, have a yarn with them, whether they beat me or not. Uh, I don't sort of hold any any grudges. And um, yeah, normally if it's a better performance, then I'll be happy uh, if they beat me. Mm-hmm. One thing in the sport is the swimming side of it. Very, very hard to pick up later in life. Swimming's what we call a taught sport, so it's technique-based. There's a lot of subtleties to it, a lot to do with flexibility. But you're one of these athletes who's been remarkable because you did pick it up later in life and you've become one of the best endurance or one of the best long-distance triathlon swimmers in the world. You can't win the race in the swim, but you can certainly lose it. How did you manage to do that? How how did Braden Curry become such a good swimmer and really, uh, in, in a swimming sense, in such a short period of time? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, Waddy. Uh, as you say, I think anyone who knows the sport and really thinks about it, um, it is quite fascinating that I managed to uh, do what I do. Probably, you know, I think four or five years ago, I was 70.3 world champs in South Africa and I lined up on the start line with uh, Javier Gomez and um, Alistair Brownlee and Sam Appleton and um, Jan Fredino and yeah, you know, all the probably at that time, um, Brownlee, both of the Brownlee brothers were, you know, off the Olympics and were, you know, just sending the race from the start. And uh, you end up having a group of five of us come out and swim uh, in the front branch about two and a half minutes in front of anyone else. So um, it's been amazing considering that, you know, all those guys have been swimming since, you know, since they're probably five, six years old and, and going through full. Uh, academies and systems and some of them were sort of Olympic swimming level um, yeah for me uh, I just sort of managed to to figure it out in a lot of ways uh, using a bit of Kiwi ingenuity and um, I guess I've done a lot of kayaking before so I guess yeah. fluidity and movement uh, in the water catch um, sort of stroke a lot of that just made sense to me mm. um, so yeah some of it crossed over I'm definitely not a, a beautiful swimmer you wouldn't say that my technique's amazing but uh I seem to be able to get the job done with um, with some of the best in the world. Yeah, it's what happens under the water, not so much on top of the water. Are you are you working as hard in the swim in those situations as you visibly appear to be working when you're in the heat of the battle on the run? Uh, ideally not. Um, yeah, I tend to be a relatively fast starter, uh, but after that I tend to set a win, and if I can find good feet, uh, then I can stay with the best of them. So... Um, I definitely try and conserve a little bit in the swim where I can, and, but uh, yeah, I guess swimming's that hard one, isn't it? You can only you know, you work so hard um, as you run out of oxygen pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Now, Big Mike Phillips, former New Zealand Ironman winner, he's won this race. He's back on the start line. We know how strong he is on the bike. Is is it ideally to try and stay with him on the bike, understanding that it is a non-drafting race, or are you, or do you back your running? Um, oh, you know what Mike Phillips is like. He, he's listening. Uh, he's listening. Him and his brother are both. Day, doesn't it? Him and his brother are both listening. He's <laughs> sending them a copy of this. In fact, they sent me the questions, Braden. Yeah, yeah. You send them a copy. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it depends on what kind of day it is of uh, the month. Mike, whether he turns up on form or not. Um, and so we'll just have to wait till the race begins, uh, whether I have to worry about him or, or not, really. Yeah, and Jack Moody recently coming off, winning 70.3 in Taupo just before Christmas. So we know that he's continuing to work on his 
swim and work on his bike and we know how good a runner he is. Is Do you, do you sort of see him as arguably the biggest threat? I've just gone through the start list they've sent me. I've just gone through the start list they've sent me in their MC notes and I will say I do not see Kyle Smith on the start line. Yeah, I thought the big guy was um, enjoying Christmas a little bit too much by the look of his social media. Mm. So I see he brought his European girlfriend um, back to New Zealand with him. So are yeah, you, impl- are you implying that? Are you implying that's the reason? <laughs> are you implying that's the reason? <laughs> or maybe his uh, maybe his concentration and focus hasn't been that uh, no. uh, been that strong. One no- <laughs> one notable name on the start list that we haven't seen before: uh, two-time Olympian Ryan yeah. Sissons. Now Ryan's been out of the sport yeah. for some time, but. Um, you know, he comes from a quality ITU background. He's a natural athlete, and so the, boy, that'll be a, that'll be a fascinating one—the unknown of Ryan Sissons. It will be, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's awesome, uh, and it's one of the beauties of uh, Taronga and uh, racing here is that, uh, not like I mean, you don't need to be uh, classed a professional athlete. Um, you need to sort of make the ranks to be elite. So. Um, yeah, someone like Ryan can throw their hat in the ring and, and have a crack at, at racing elite. And uh, I would say he has all the ability um, to mm. perform uh, in this race. I know he's given it a go one time before. Uh, I think he ended up with a drafting penalty and uh, that sort of set him back a little bit. But yeah, no, he's definitely a front bunch swimmer and um, who knows what he can do on the bike. Um, and when he, you know, in his ITU days, he's a phenomenal runner. So definitely one to watch. Now, I know you guys race for food and you rely heavily on sponsors. So who are some of those sponsors? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely part of the business and part of the game. And I think uh, probably one of the more exciting ones uh, this year has been to be able to work with Ansco Foods, actually. Uh, so yeah, they're com- we, awesome. we, we, we hear your dulcet tones on their commercials on this station. Oh, that's lucky, eh? Yeah, no. Oh, that's, yeah, I did yeah. the recording for this station. Yeah, that's, that's right. You, know, you, you did, actually. And after the well recording, after, after the recording, yeah. the boys thought, boy, that guy should do a Love Songs to Midnight show. He's just got that voice. <laughs> I've got a talent. Yeah, I've got a talent. Um, maybe we could do a duet if you're lucky. Um, <laughs> so, Ansco, yep. So, yep. Uh, you know, we've been working with Ansco, and, uh, yeah, it's awesome. I uh, grew up in a farming uh, town on a farm, so uh, definitely been a a good meat eater my whole life and uh, to have free uh, meat protein uh, for the family is a real bonus um, and then yeah just everyone else ASICs and Red Bull and felt bikes uh, global um, yeah it's always always good to have their sport well, all the very best. I will be down there Saturday morning. Uh, looking forward to this one. It's always one of the great events on the calendar. Uh, Braden Curry, enjoy the next day and a half and uh, good luck on the weekend. Yeah, awesome. Cheers, mate. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. The great Braden Curry there. And I do use the word great. One of the great endurance athletes. I mean, you've got Rick Wells, you've got the Aaron Bakers. Um, you've only got to go back through the list of the coast-to-coast winners over the year. And he, without doubt, when it's all said and done, will put himself amongst the very, very best that have ever come out of this country. And if you are in the Bay of Plenty region over the weekend, do get yourself along to Mount Wanganui. Do get yourself along the beachfront or in the cafes or at Pilot Bay and settle back and enjoy what is every year just one of the great races. Very good women's field too. Um, on the women's side, we've got Amelia Watkinson who's won it. We've got Hannah Berry who's won it multiple times. Rebecca Clark who won it for the first time. Uh, it's three athletes trying to vie for that top spot on the podium. 
19 minutes after one, we will bring you some updates on this big news that is breaking that I guess crosses um, sport. And it's significant that Prime Minister Ardern, who's been so incredibly popular for much of her term as Prime Minister, has announced that she will stand down. And she's also announced an election date. She'll stand down on February 7th. She said she had hoped to find the energy and heart to continue in the role over summer, uh, but has not been able to do that. She said that she had reflected on her own future. This has been the most fulfilling five and a half years of my life. She made the announcements choking back tears. She said that I'm leaving because with such a privileged job becomes big responsibility. Ardern said she was not leaving because it was hard. She goes on to say, I know when I have enough left in the tank to do it justice. Ardern also announced this year's election will be Saturday, October the 14th. The Prime Minister announced the date at the Labour Party caucus retreat at Napier. So Prime Minister Ardern standing down. That will disappoint some and I'd imagine it will please others. 21 minutes after one, you're listening to SENZ. Twenty-six minutes after one o'clock, you are listening to SENZ. The news breaking earlier that Jacinda Ardern stepping down as Prime Minister, um, set to go seventh of February. So there you go. And we can have some strange things happen in sport, and we can have some strange things happen in politics. Fascinating. Wonder how many people saw that coming. I'm trying to work out what sort of sporting spin we can put on it, but I'm not sure we can. Maybe the TAB might have odds on what that might mean for National, what that might mean for Labour at the next election. Who knows? Uh, just a bit of feedback off the interview that we just did with Braden Curry. Watto, I've been watching the Nutrigrain Ironman and Women's Series. Wow, that incredible athletes. The football fans want to know what real performance looks like, then watch those women do the course, then vomit, then have to do the course again after a 30-minute rest. Absolutely inspiration. I believe some Kiwis are performing, but I can't find their backstories or the path they took to get on the Aussie tour. Yeah, now, surf life-saving Ironman, different to Ironman triathlon, but equally brutal, equally tough. What people don't realise in surf life-saving is that, really, cricket is the number one summit sport over there, but surf life-saving is not far behind it. You've all been over there, you've all seen how big the surf clubs are, the nippers programs that they do have on, the Nutrigrain Ironman. Big, big sport. And uh, surf life saving quite big in this country as well. In fact, when they have the surf life saving world championships, which also include a pool component to cater for the Europeans, um, we've won it. Uh, we won it three consecutive times, uh, four consecutive, uh, three consecutive times, and actually took it off the Australians. But again, didn't get any um, real coverage here. And going back to the point, and just reinforcing my point. When Simon was texting me, again, just showing the bias that is shown towards certain sports in this country and certain media bias in terms of pushing the agendas of certain sports, sometimes um, to the detriment of those smaller sports who are just working, working really, really hard out there. Uh, boys, are we doing a TAB update now or we're going to take a break? We'll catch up with Johnny Mack first okay. and then we'll go to BB. Is Johnny Mack good to go? I think so. Should we throw to him? Should we throw to the great man, the velvet voice? Let's go to John. Brother Bella's in the back, sweet singers in the front, cruising down the freeway in the hot, hot, hot. 
Oh, nothing better than a little bit of OMC, but that must mean that we've got Brendan Popple from the TAB on the line. G'day, Brendan. Hey, Watto, and uh, quite a bizarre last half an hour. Very how bizarre, uh, you could say. So maybe an apt tune with what's just happened. TAB odds on the election, National Labour. We got short odds. <laughs> Look, Watto, we, we unfortunately, there's a bit of red tape to cut through and we can't uh, have that type of betting, but um, you would say that maybe uh, very much favoured towards the blue angle if there was to be uh, any type of betting uh, in the election upcoming. Now, I tell you what, we see some strange things in sport, but boy, you see some strange things in politics. Not many people saw that coming, Brennan. Hey, um, how, no. many, how many people picked Rafael Nadal going out of the Australian Open last night? Yeah, look, um, look, it, it hurt some punters, and, and I know that those that were looking towards um, that, that outright winner book, uh, I mean, Djokovic is, is clearly the man that the, the punters want to be backing, but uh, people love Rafa, and they love uh, romantic stories, and uh, certainly there was one around him sort of trying to, to win again, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, that, uh, that dented a number of punters' bets, but... What I can say is that Djokovic, around that 167 price, has been very popular through just a number of single bets and, and, and best backed in terms of our outright market for the men's market. What I will say about the women's market, uh, Swiatek, very solid. Uh, there's been a lot of money surrounding her. And Coco Goff, uh, around that sort of $9.50 market, it's just one of those players uh, that has been backed. If you're looking at something away from the favoured uh, favoured women's players in, in that market there. So uh, coming, uh, still stick with the tennis theme. In fact, actually, and Kokonakis uh, playing against Andy Murray uh, later on tonight has been a match that punters are keen to get involved on. Looking towards uh, going Kokonakis way, Andy Murray outsider at 2.30, and also looking to maybe push that into a set going beyond three or more. So there's a, a few options that punters are looking towards, but Kokonakis well found there in that market. Mm. Yeah, look, another big week in the English Premier League, and it fascinates me, the TAB, because this has just got to be the toughest league in the world. I mean, how do you pick a result and put odds on Southampton versus Aston Villa or West Ham United, Crystal Palace, Newcastle? I mean, sometimes it's easier, isn't it, when you've got, say, Manchester City playing Southampton. But take us through that process. Yeah, look, look, there's so many different teams that work in part of the TAB to be able to put it all together. And look, these guys and girls... they. They, they they crunch all the numbers, they get their stats together, and, they, and then they also look at other markets around the world. I mean, they're very much dictated to what happens in terms of any breaking news with players getting out. One player being either injured or not playing can, can flip a market, and those guys have got to have the ear to the ground in terms of setting markets. But um, in terms of the process, uh, look, they, they, they stick to what they know, and then we've got our guys and girls, as I said, that are covering their Pacific sports, and they watch what's going on. So... Um, Look, it's certainly a field that I'm not quite crunching the numbers with, but boy, I bow to them with how they do it because, as you said, there are some tough matchups at times, and you've got to try and find a favourite. And at times, as you'll see in some of our markets, they leave it to the punter. They leave it to the punter to decide which one's going to be the actual favourite option, and that's why you'll see games where it's 187 each and those type of respective markets because they can't find a way of who's going to win, so they leave it up to the punter to make their, to make their decision mm-hmm. and make the money move. Much interest in the NFL playoffs? A lot of interest. Look, I'll tell you what, there's been a lot of interest in our outright markets uh, in the last few weeks. And obviously the, the, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, have been that one team through through the regular season that, that team punters have been wanting to back. Kansas City Chiefs are still the favourite option with many, though, believing they can go all the way. Bengals money is interesting because Bengals 
were around that $26 price after losing their first two games of the season. And they're a team um, that has been able to... They've been just been able to hold together in terms of injuries, and that's been one of our worst results with the way the things have tracked through the regular season. And they were able to just get the job done recently. So the Bengals, you probably have to say at this stage, is one of our worst results in our outright winner to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so what are some of the... I mean, okay, we had the draw yesterday for the Karaka Millions for the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds. Has there been a lot mm-hmm. of interest in that, or does that tend to sort of spike a little bit more come race day, come Saturday? Yeah, you'll, you'll see more interest in that market probably tomorrow, uh, with it being Friday, but we're already we've seen uh, good money around Opie Bosson's rides. Now, Opie Bosson has an impeccable record of winning the, the, the two-year-old race, and, of course, Tiakau themselves, they're, they're looking for their seventh victory in a row, and they've got a, a number of chances to win the race, but Trobriand is the one that Opie Bosson has picked in the Krakatoum in two, uh, $1 million two-year-old race, and that's where punters are going at this stage. Sits at a $3 quote, but don't be put off by the other ride that Opie didn't choose, despite the wide barrier draw in Tokyo Tycoon. And then in the following race, or two races after race number six, we've seen very good money for Wild Knight. He is the second favourite. Legato is the favourite at 220. Again, that is Opie Bosson's ride. Uh, there's been really good money for him to see him uh, move to a $2.80 quote. And Watto, we've got the boys get paid with their big syndicate. They've got close to nearly half a million dollars. Uh, to play with, and already we're starting to see a couple of big bets trickling in. They've taken an $80,000 multi to return a million dollars. So you can jump online to tab.co.nz and find the Boys Get Paid uh, syndicate. You can put in as less than a dollar or as much as you like, whatever the budget allows to get involved in their syndicate, because, boy, they're going to have some fun, and they're going to throw down some heavy bets. Brendan Popperwell, as always, appreciate your time on the programme this afternoon. Thank you. Cheers, Watto. There you go. Now... Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing, of course, at tab.co.nz. We want to emphasise this, though. Please gamble responsibly. You must be R18 and over. You must be 18 years of age and over. Uh, keep your thoughts coming here on the Temper, Bex, Temper and Bedpost text machine. A range of mattresses, adjustable bases that adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. And I just want to emphasise this too, and I, I can't emphasise this enough. If you're travelling around the country, um, you see the fuel gauge starting to water go empty, pop into a gull station. Okay, they support this station. They're fueling your mission all year round. It is 23 minutes away from 2 o'clock. So the news, big news breaking that Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern resigns, saying she will step down no later than February 7th. She's had a bit of a chance to reflect on, I guess, her life, um, the toll of being Prime Minister, whether she's got the energy for another campaign and possibly another three years. And I think she's come to the realisation that she doesn't quite have that energy and perhaps she can't be true to herself or to the Labour Party. I'm not sure too many people pick this one because for so long she was very much the golden girl here in New Zealand and very much seen as the golden girl in regards to political leaders around the world. John McDeal from our newsroom joins us in studio. John, um, big, big news. Um, I'd imagine a lot of news organisations around the country completely taken off guard by this. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we were expecting today the announcement of the election date 
pretty much. The uh, Labor Party caucus is meeting in uh, Napier at the, at the moment for the next two days. And uh, obviously they were uh, talking some strategy towards uh, the upcoming election. Um, and everyone was kind of hanging out for the uh, the election date to be announced, which she said she would um, you know, give to uh, the country you know, at the earliest possible um, moment, and she did that today. She delivered that as Saturday, the fourteenth of October. But then she slam dunked with the uh, the fact that she has decided, um, after reflection over the holiday period, that she no longer had the capacity to carry on, or or the actual uh, hunger, I guess, uh, en- enough energy in the tank to remain as mm. prime minister. So she'll step down. Yeah, it's funny because I think COVID worked two ways for her. Initially, came out, put on a very good light, and then as things progressed and we've seen globally inflation increase uh, clearly as a result of what happened in the COVID era. Um, There's been a lot of issues in and around infrastructure, roading and the whole lot and you just sort of felt whether whether National could have done it any differently or not is another debate but the wheels were just starting to fall off, the knives were starting to come out, politics at its absolute finest and we know it can be brutal. Um, Do you think legacy comes into this decision that she sort of probably still wanted to try and get out on top rather than actually losing an election and maybe having that next to her name? Yeah, well, she did say in her uh, speech this afternoon that there was no way that she didn't think that Labour could uh, not win the or not win the election. She, in fact, thinks that they can go on and uh, and win the election at the end of the year. That didn't come into it. She just uh, felt basically that she'd run her course. You know, her mm. energy was gone. She didn't want to go into her six-year uh, six term in Parliament without, um, you know, the desire mm. to actually give it all, give it her all, mm. and um, basically, obviously, with uh, a lot of discussion with her family, who I believe and who she said in, in her uh, her announcement this afternoon that her family fully supported her to carry on, but um, you know they also supported her decision to stand down. Yeah, and we forget that she is a mum. Yeah, and you know I've spoken to a lot of very very successful people, done incredibly well in life. And their biggest regret when they got to 60s is they didn't spend enough time with their family. Got the young daughter, Neve. It's Neve, isn't it? Yeah. And what, she must be five, six. Neve starts school this year. Yeah. So that's a, and, that's a factor and, as and well. And you never get those years back, do you? That's right. Um, okay, there will be some people out there that are cynical that might suggest that perhaps there's something else that's going on in the background that we're not aware of yet and possibly that she's sort of falling on herself before news breaks. You've nothing like that out there. There's no sort of rumours or innuendo anywhere that this is just exactly what she says it is. Yeah, I think it is. So I think we take it. We take her uh, at face value there. Um, I think the interesting thing from here, though, is who's going to replace her? Absolutely. The great be- question, be- isn't it? Because, you know, who is there? Well, Grant Robertson's come out and said he won't. He's not going to put his name forward. So, I mean, you rule him out. Who have you got left? You've got, um, and we're looking in the most senior order, I guess, Kelvin Davis. Um, he's maybe going to put his name forward. Um, Kelvin Davis, the police minister. Was he police? No, he's not the police minister. He was a, a former police minister. Chris Hipkins is another one who's got a reasonably high profile. Yeah, and he, he seems to be a bit of a golden boy, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he's you know he's kind of shone through at times during the the COVID yeah. uh, um, situation, and then of course maybe maybe as an outsider, uh, the return of Andrew Little, perhaps a former leader. Yeah, but this is such a danger, and this is the thing that we've seen in New Zealand. We saw it with John Key and National when you set you 
party up pretty much around a president. It's almost a presidential stock campaign. It's not about the party as a whole. It's about an individual. And let's not kid ourselves. Ardern got Labour across the line, didn't she? She, when did. she decided yep. to replace uh, Andrew Little. But the danger is, where's the succession plan? It's not dissimilar to what we've seen with ACT at the moment. Yeah, and it's, um, it's a concern that, to me, there doesn't appear to be a great depth in... Um, and, and I guess, well, it, it, I mean, it's all been about Jacinda Ardern hmm. and, and it was Grant all about John Key. Chris Hipkins yeah. and, and, and maybe uh, Kelvin Davis and Andrew Little. The rest of them are, are pretty, pretty anonymous, yeah. you know? So yeah. it's going to be interesting. Caucus have seven days now to ascertain who wants to put their name forward. Uh, but in even narrowing that down... They uh, have decided that a vote will occur within three days. So they will vote on a new leader on Sunday, the 22nd of January, this Sunday. Did Ardern take her own caucus off by guard, do you think, with this decision? Or do you think this they would have been made aware of this some days ago, a week ago, earlier than this? Was the writing on the wall within the party? It's very hard to keep a secret these days in yeah, politics, I, though, I, isn't it? I think the inner circle might have might have known about this. Uh, I think there might have been one or two, though, who were taken by surprise. Um, the, the timing of the announcement, uh, let's not kid ourselves. Politics is politics. There's a lot of spin doctors in the background. There's a lot of people that stage manage everything, put bad news out on a Friday. Um, it's going to be forgotten pretty much over the weekend with sport and stuff. The month of January, middle of summer, sun's out, people on holiday. Um, is there any politicising in around the timing of this announcement? I don't think there's anything sinister in the fact uh, that she she made the announcement today. I think she just wanted to get it out there, uh, you know, to give whoever's coming in a, a, a clear run towards the election. Um, she'll be gone from Parliament by April, uh, and then you okay. Know, so she's actually she, she, she's out out completely. Out she's not door, even going to see a term she, through. No, she's so by election to Mount Albert. No, no, no. She said, well, she said she she. I'm not. I'm not. I'm a, I grew tot- up in Mount Albert. I'm not so. totally clear on it. She did say that she's going to stay on as as the MP for Mount Albert, but she wants to she wants to be out of Parliament in by April. So whether that means that she's just going to be on the back benches and just you know do her. Do, do what she do needs to do for Mount Albert. Yep. For, for the for the uh, until the election, um, that hasn't been clarified. But the, the the big thing is is that the vote is going to be taken within mm. the next three days, with the the you know the the, the decider or the deciding date being Sunday the twenty second of January this Sunday. So um, Labor should have a new leader, or, or as as long as it you know it goes reasonably smoothly by by the start of next week. John McDill, lovely having you in studio. Thanks for a little bit of a heads up and trying to maybe answer a few questions that perhaps people have got out there. I'd imagine there will be a lot of innuendo. Um, there's a lot of people, let's be honest, there's just not a lot of trust. People trust if you sit on the left. People won't trust if you sit on the right. The reality is it's another key moment in the history of New Zealand politics. If you have just joined us, Jacinda Ardern announcing her resignation as Prime Minister, as the leader of the Labour Party, and will be gone no later than the 7th of February. It is coming up to nine minutes away from two. Now it's Watto in the house. Mark Stafford back on deck next week between 12 and 4. Um, interesting, isn't it? We've had this announcement regarding Jacinda Ardern. No texts on it whatsoever. Mind you, I guess people have tuned in to listen to sport, haven't they? They haven't really tuned in to listen to sort of politics. It can always be quite divisive politics. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, 
girlfriends or boyfriends amongst girls, but yeah, you know what I mean? That can always be quite divisive amongst friends, and then it's always politics. I try and avoid politics when I'm in groups uh, because I know everyone sits differently politically and you can sit there and argue the pros and cons and often you just get nowhere um, with it all. It can actually end up being very divisive. Um, I, look, I, I, I don't pretend to. I sit on the left. I sit on the right politically. Um, not far right, but I have voted for every political party. I think when you're younger, you tend to probably sit a little bit more on the left and as you get a little bit older, you probably move a little bit more right. I think what we can say in this country is that yeah, the political parties are not a lot different. Not a lot different in terms of centre left, centre right. Anyway, I might leave politics there for now. Um, I'm sure that uh, there'll be plenty across all the networks. I see BBC, uh, BBC World Service have are all over it. Uh, Sydney Morning Herald's all over it. And uh, where to now? Where to now? Hmm. Right, two and a half minutes away from two o'clock. Coming up after two o'clock, we're going to talk Wakayama paddling, outrigger paddling, big sport. Not just amongst the Pacifica community now, not just amongst Māori, um, but really has gone across all ethnicities. Huge sport in places like Tahiti, Hawaii. I know that Hawaii is part of the United States. Tahiti is, what do they call it, a French colony. Um, but if those were their own independent countries, they would be their national sports. Amazing in Hawaii uh, how much involvement Steinlager has with sponsorship up there. And it's all around outrigger paddling. And the big race up there is um, from Maui, the island of Maui, through to Oahu. Team event. A lot of New Zealand crews do very, very well up in that. So we'll talk to Stephen Harris. We'll find out a little bit about it, just how big the community is, how many entries there are, and um, I know there's a push to try and get it as part of the Olympic Games. And it, it, it's an interesting one with a sports like that should be in Olympic Games because you go, well, how global are they? And you go, well, I don't know, how global are some sports at the Olympics? There's a lot of sports that I'd argue are not that global that are strong in certain parts of the world. And when sevens became the Olympic Games, I was a little bit like, really? Should it be part of the Olympic program? And then someone said to me, provided a rationale which changed my thinking completely. They said, you have a look at the Olympics. Every nation in the world, there's probably a sport that they can target. What about the Pacific Island nations? Small populations, not a lot of money. And what Sevens does, it now gives them a point of view. And look what those two gold medals have done for the nation of Fiji. The nationalism it's brought. Suddenly they, too, can be recognised at the Olympic Games because there is a sport that is almost a national sport, a sport that they're good at, that can sit alongside of, say, things like handball, baseball, and some of these other sports that even in this country we're not that familiar with. Coming up to 2 o'clock, new sport and weather at the top of the hour.
Right, it is three and a half minutes after two. You are listening to SENZ. We are going to talk Wakayama. We're going to talk outrigger paddling. Nationals are on in Karapero. Steve Harris, who I've done a lot of work with as a commentator, very good rugby commentator. You'll hear Steve on occasions add his two cents to a number of the rugby debates on this station. He is one of the voices down there bringing you all the commentary. He now joins us on the programme. Afternoon to you, Steve. Welcome. Kia ora, Mark, and good afternoon to your uh, listeners as well. From what I've got to say, it's a very, very warm Lake Karapiro. Yeah, um, how, how how big is the Wakayama community? How, how big is the sport? Oh, listen, it, it, it's probably, you know, up until sort of a certain pandemic came along, it was one of the fastest growing water sports. Unfortunately, the sport itself had to take a little bit of a hiatus or a bit of a break with the um, with the pandemic uh, hanging hanging around. So this is the first time in, in two years that we've had to get the Nationals back up and running. And, and this year they've got about around about 2,700 uh, paddlers at this, this event. But around the club, there's over 90 clubs around the country. And there's a pretty good representation that's uh, right here this very week. Yeah, I was going to say, Stephen, I mean, its origins clearly uh, amongst the Pacifica community, the Māori community. But um, these days it's a sport that not really knows sort of no ethnic uh, ethnic or particular ethnic backgrounds. A lot of Europeans taking part in it as well. Oh, absolutely. And you get a few rock stars crossing over from other sports as well, of course. Uh, Olympian Amy Fisher, a very good uh, kayaker in her, in, her, in her own right, uh, paddles for a club from the, from, from the Hawks Bay. Not too sure if Amy is actually here this, this particular year, but she always does uh, pretty well at this event, which kind of makes me think some of these very, very good Waka Armour paddles, I, you know, I have no doubt some of them could probably transition transition into K1 quite easily, Mark. Yeah, yeah, and what what's the age of the youngest competitors at the Nationals? Oh, listen, the, the younger ones, it starts, it, it's across several several divisions, and it starts with the, the midget division. So you'll see youngsters around about six, seven, eight starting. So it's a great time to actually get them out out in the canoe. And these various divisions go to the intermediate grades and under 16, mm. under 19s, right up until Golden Master 75. So incredibly, you can actually see generations of families that are down here, like for example, maybe when the first sport first started in the country back in the 90s, a, a grandfather might have might have paddled back in the day, and all of a sudden, he's got his children, his grandchildren, and in some cases, great grandchildren that are paddling at this event. You see, my t- in my teenage years, it was always dragon boat racing, and it seems to have sort of been an evolution from that in terms of well, everyone sort of started in dragon boat racing, and then we sort of started to see Wakayama come through the outrigger paddling. Um, and, but, and I'd imagine with the evolution, there's become an evolution in the science of it. And I would imagine there's a lot more work done on the technique side of it. And some of those things are now well and truly established. Oh, oh very, very much so from, you know, the change of, of canoes, heavy fiberglass canoes that basically weighed around about this. I'm not talking about single canoes, which weighed 20 kg plus. Now you can pick up, uh, if you've got a spare nine grand in your pocket, uh, what are you can pick up a carbon fiber canoe uh, that's made up in Tahiti that only weighs about nine kgs, but you'll have to depart with uh, uh, nine, you know, nine k six man canoes that used to cost around about ten k, now cost about twenty k. Mm. But you know these are all 
sort of high performance uh, high performance vehicles, which are starting to match some of these high performance athletes, especially in the premier divisions, that are starting to come through. Yeah, and I'd imagine though, you know, from a coaching point of view, not dissimilar in terms of the physiology and the training required that you'd see from our top rowers or our top kayakers. Oh, very, very much so. All about technique, strength and conditioning, power to weight ratio all the above and you know the, the, the top paddlers look for example Acacia Williams who took out we had the OC1 or V1 races yesterday she's actually the uh, the current world champion she won the world title at a venue you'd know very well Dawny Lake in Windsor in London last year the world VAR sprint championships she was just too good for the rest of the, the field uh, yesterday in the in, in the V1s and she's some sh- sort of athlete and I believe she could easily uh, cross cross over to uh, to kayaking. Yeah, I was going to ask you that how many different classes and categories and then within that, within those different classes and categories, how many different distances? So at the Olympics you have the men can do the K1 500, they can do the K1 1000 uh, of course you can do the K1 200 we, yep, we have the, uh, the 500 metre race, which is considered the, a straight, dra- straight drag race. Sometimes in the Premier Men's teams, you'll get some really big grunters sitting in the in, in the middle of the canoe. You know, guys that are six two, six three, but carry you know basically carry their body weight pretty pretty well. Um, then you get the uh, turning races, which are a thousand metres. There's there's three turns. Of course, you can be have this great uh, line speed through the middle of the course, but if you can't get these canoes around the corner, you'll struggle. Then you've got the 1,500 metres, which is what we see in the premier events, premier men's, premier premier women. So those are the those are the distance you see down here. They also have a, a 250-metre sprint, which is just a straight drag race, and these are pretty much your quickest guys in an OC1 around New Zealand. And just remember, these canoes too are rudderless, so you've got to learn how to paddle steer them. Mm as well as pull some water. Mm. Okay, so so in summary then, what would you describe as the blue ribbon race for both the men and the women? Blue ribbon, yeah, blue ribbon race as well. Where the, the, in, the, in the singles, definitely the, the, the premier races, and of course that was the V1s. Keisha Williams taking out the women's event yesterday. She's from the, uh, uh, she paddles for one of the uh, clubs out of uh, Gisborne, of course, Manutu, Manutia Million. From the Akarana Club took out the Open Men's Division. The crazy thing about it, he beat the current world champion from last year, Casey Nataki of the Monaco Club. So those two paddlers, you know, that V1 event is always great because, you know, there's nowhere to hide mark. It's a little bit like boxing. You're the only only person out, out there, so you've got to pour water. But in terms of the premier event, the premium men's and women's 500-metre sprint, that's pretty much your fast, six fastest paddlers in New Zealand. And then there's the endurance race, which is the 1,500-metre race with five turns. And I'll tell you what, that's an amazing race. Amazing to call. Sometimes you'll see these races going into the last turn, and you've got six mm. six teams all turning at the same time on that last turn. And they had to come down to a small mistake, running over a boy. You know, real small margins. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen, so in terms of the team side of it, what, what four paddlers in a boat maximum? What, what's the biggest of the boats? Yeah, that's well. Those are the those are the six six men. Uh, six canoes. men, so okay. Six people, yep. yep, six six people in the boat. Obviously, your six paddler is your steerer. But it's uh, listen. Everybody's got a job in the team. Usually recognised by your your mm. one and two and your paces. But it's like any sport, like rowing. It's all about that timing, getting that connection. But we also have a W twelve race where they basically lash two two hulls together 
and they race in 12 men. So hard enough trying to get six people to paddle at the same time, but getting uh, 12 men, 12 people paddling at the same time is very impressive to watch. Just getting that synergy and that connection together. Yes, yeah, Stephen, some of the big ocean races around the world, the most famous being Molokai to Oahu, um, where we see, actually see paddlers being swapped in and out, where you basically jump oh. out of the boat and then you basically pull a paddler who's waiting in the water into the boat. Where does that fit within the sport of Wakayama? Yep, no, we have uh, we actually have a couple of uh, events. We've got one coming up in a few weeks' time, which is at the Takapuna Beach Cup, and I'll probably talk to you before that event uh, rolls round. Listen, these are real endurance events. You know, it's probably not for the faint-hearted. If, if, if being in the middle of the ocean is, is not your thing, not probably not the place to be. But the two big events, like you say, the Molokai, also the, the Hawaii Nui Va, which is over three days. Um, it's over 110k, uh, different legs each day, uh, searing heat of 40 degrees. Uh, like I say, very, very tough endurance events. But those are, I know the Hawaii Nui Va is a, is a cash prize event, having done a Masters event back in 2008 and even back then we finished third in that division and won 75,000 francs. Sounds like a lot of money but it's about 1,300 New Zealand dollars. So those are really, really big events that a lot of our top paddlers aspire to. Of course, the Molokai, that's been taken out by a few good New Zealand teams over the years but usually if you rock up, just be prepared to take on the Tahitians and, and the Hawaiians because they, they know that water like the back of their hand. Yeah, okay, Stephen. So action, uh, what can people look forward to? When when does it finish? Is it Saturday or Sunday? It finishes on Saturday. We probably most of the most of the main finals will all happen on uh, the Saturday afternoon. You can probably hear a commentator in the background and and he's making enough noise and it's just the heat. At the minute there'll be finals tomorrow. If you want to follow some of the results, you can follow some of us live on Maori TV who are covering it. But if you want to look at some results, go to www.liveresults.co.nz and you can uh, check on any paddlers that you might be following at this event. But uh, I've got to say, it'll be a lot of fun. If you are local to Lake Karapiro, make sure you come down. It's a free entry. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of colour, uh, a lot of fun to be had down here. Stephen Harris, as always, thank you for the update. Thank you for the insight. Not a problem at all, mate. 14 minutes after two, sport of Wakayama. Outrigger paddling. Why not? Tough, tough sport. I think it'd be great if we saw it at the Olympic Games. I think there's room for it. I think it suits a... I think, again, it gives the smaller Pacific Island nations something to target. I think the Americans would be very good at it because it's almost a national sport. And I use the word national, knowing that Hawaii is a state of America, but it's almost a national sport in Hawaii. As we talked about, the Tahitians are very good at it. New Zealand, Australia, all the Pacific nations. Um... And, you know, clearly they had sprint world championships in the UK last year, which suggests that it's got a big following over there as well. But um, you go back and you look at, I guess, the history and the origins of ocean-going craft and outrigger canoes, I would have thought, would be one of the older forms. Might want to have you say, have you been involved? All tough sports. Text a tear on the temper... We post text machine, double eight double three. You can phone the program, of course, on 0800 150 811 is the number. Take a break. We'll come back with more. It's Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. It's finished at Sunderland. Manchester United have done all they can. That Rooney goal was...
is enough for the three points. Manchester City is still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! Wonderful moment. Wonderful moment. The great Martin Tyler there. Sergio Aguero scoring the goal that finally brings Manchester City an English Premier League title. We played that because before we went on air today, we were just sort of talking about sports commentators and bits of commentary and we were just sort of reminiscing and we were talking about Liverpool Football Club beating Barcelona May 7th, 2019, um, 4-0 at Anfield where they needed to at least score three goals. Um, to take it into extra time and try and beat Barcelona and get through to the Champions League final. Barcelona won the first league, uh, first league three 0 and it was impossible and ended up being one of the great nights at Anfield. But I think that, without doubt, is one of the best pieces of commentary. And, and I say this, and clearly being a hardcore Liverpool fan, does it hurt me to hear Manchester City winning it? Without a doubt. But I think those moments. You just have to be a sports fan to appreciate them. I think you're a bit pig-headed if you can't appreciate the moment. And they're different than Manchester United through Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and, um, and who was it, uh, back in 99 against uh, Bayern Munich um, when they ended up winning 2-1. Uh, it was also one of those great moments. Liverpool beating AC Milan at Atatürk Stadium 2004. Uh, just, trying to, just trying to... 2005. Yeah, 2005, of course it was. Um, those moments exist and maybe opportunity for you to jump on the temper text machine double eight double three, and remind us of some of them um, where the impossible is achieved or history finally beckons um, well, Teddy Sheringham scored the other goal didn't he Terry Sheringham Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and we've got a few other highlights that we will play and some of the ones that I did mention um I'm just trying to think what what would be New Zealand's moment where what's the old saying? It's not over until the old lady sings or the fat lady sings. Is that the saying? Yeah, not over. I'm not sure where that came from. Probably can't say that anymore anyway. Um, but yeah, when you sort of sit there and it's just that little reminder, that little reminder not to leave your seat, not to go away. Because just occasionally sport can bring some of the greatest theatre some of the greatest drama. Kieran, any, any moments for you? Well, there was one that Niv and I were just talking about before. Obviously, the, the Aguero one. And you and I are both Liverpool fans, Watto, and, and Niv as well are Liverpool fans. For me, I was 11 when that happened. And I was more was so it just... 2011, wasn't it? Was it? I thought it was... Tw- yeah, it was 2011. So 20, I was, was, I was it only 2011, 2012? Yeah, it was. It was yep. 2011, 2012. And um, 
Yeah. I was just more so happy that United didn't win the title because it was that last match day, wasn't it? Sunderland. United oh, won mate. 1-0. That, that, that Martin Tyler commentary is Anyone stunning, mate. There. Wonderful commentary. Mate, just sitting there when he said drink it up, I almost cried, mate. No, yeah. I don't like Man City You for, will never for see man. anything like it. And it's true. Um, another notable one for me before I pass it to Nibby, he's got a great one. Uh, football one. Fernando Torres, semi-final Champions League against Barcelona. He was playing for Chelsea. He yeah, took see, around I never, Victor for, I never forgave him for leaving Liverpool. And he was never the same it player the after right he left Liverpool. He, it was no, the right time. What a, he was never the right before. time to leave Liverpool. Never the right time. Nah, it was, mate. Because look look what he did at Chelsea. Well, you That's know, all I'll say. You know, you know how I tell a story of the Manchester United Bayern Munich 99. Well, George Best, who many still believe is right up there amongst the greatest players of all time. Sure. Um, because he was Irish, never really saw him at a World Cup. He was at that final, and it was Bayern leading by one goal to nil. It was time up. He actually left and was going down, and he gets stopped, and he's talking to somebody. He comes down, he sees the trophy, and he's thinking, how come they're putting red and white ribbons on it? And he'd heard the roar and everything, thinking the game was over. And so he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, game's over. Well done, Bayern. I'm disappointed. I'm shattered. I'm Manchester United, man. I need to come downstairs and see the... Th- not realising that, in fact, they'd scored two quick goals and he'd missed them both. Imagine if you were a Liverpool fan that day on the 7th. But there'll be a lot of people back. And don't kid yourself, a lot of people in 2005, because I was at bars down here in the Viaduct, 3-0 at half-time, who left. And we were close to going, and we decided that we were just going to continue having breakfast, and we were pretty disappointed, but we're having good conversation. And then... Um, as they say, the rest is history. Gerard comes back with one and Jersey Dudak that day. And, you know, look, I'd imagine it was no different than if you were a hardcore American, America's Cup supporter, and we beat, t- you, you, you trailing New Zealand by, you know, what was it, 6-6, six, six. Six, and then you end up winning at 7-6. Um, that sport. Uh, there's a great piece of audio, and we should try and find it, where there's a talkback caller. I used to play this back on Radio Sport. There's a talkback caller. And he rings up this football show and he's just abusing his team. And the guy goes, hey, John, John, we won. We what? Yeah, we won. When did you leave? I went in the 90th minute. And they won 2-1 and they scored (laughs) goals all in extra time. It's a great piece of audio. eh? What do you mean we won? We won. Uh, What's Niv got? What's Niv's finest moment? Oh, I mean, I can't look past... um, Corner taker quickly, Origi. That's that is the defining piece of commentary for me. But I got a few others. Uh, one of my favourite pieces of commentary is when Kawhi Leonard um, scores a buzzer beater in Game Seven Toronto. against the Sixers yep. in 2019. That is just all time for me. Um, just the anticipation of the ball bouncing on the rim, waiting for it to go in. It's fantastic. Um, I'm a big motorsport guy, and I think I was 12 when Lewis Hamilton won the the championship in 2008. Uh, on the final corner of the Brazilian Grand Prix. Um, that was fantastic. Yeah, it's a shame that Formula One doesn't provide those moments anymore. It's it funny. really doesn't. When, when you go now look at IndyCar, IndyCar for the last, what, four, five, six seasons, every single season's come down to the last race in terms of determining the Drivers' Championship. And that's yeah. actually what makes it a far more intriguing series for me. What about two seasons ago when it was Max and Lewis, right, and it literally came down to the last oh, turn? Yeah, no, absolutely 100% correct. And there was all sorts of controversy around that, wasn't yeah, there? That was amazing. For yeah, me. that's true, but... but if you look at the last decade, it's, it hasn't been like that. That's, no, no, that was yeah. the exception to the rule, yeah, not the rule. exception to the rule. And, and we've got some more, we're going to bring you the Origi stuff a little bit later. What else have we got? Got some Spurs PSV 
Uh, sorry, Ajax Spurs Ajax. Um, Istanbul 2005 Liverpool. I can get some. You know what? This is one that I need to say. Right I'm before starting I get to get emotional, boys. I'm getting goosebumps. The greatest one. Teary eyed, mate. For all my NBA guys out there, Mike Breen. You can never go past Mike. Bang, bang. The man who says bang. Bang. Two notable ones before I'll get out and leave it to you, Otto. Ray Allen. Mm, uh, game game yep. seven uh, against the Spurs and Steph Curry against OKC. They don't have a timeout. Michael Jordan, Cleveland Cavaliers. Oh, I'm not as big of an MJ fan, what I so I'll, I'll leave that one. That's criminal. That? That's the only thing Kez and I, I disagree on. Than that, mate. <laughs> well, no, I just I I prefer others. I prefer yeah. others. That's all. I won't get it. What did Larry Bird say? Larry Bird recently said, and he was talking about he was talking about. Um, LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and he said and you know one of the greats of all time and Larry Bird he said look if I want to win I pick Kobe mm. Bryant if I want to have fun I pick LeBron James <laughs> I, thought, I thought that summed it up actually did perfectly Kobe's mm. my goat but we, I don't have a goat though we talked about this water, the discussion of the goat I think that's why I don't really prefer Michael Jordan as much as others mm. is because he's been hey here's another one Michael Jordan is the, the me to me people telling me my whole life you have to have Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. No, but you don't. The proof's don't. not in the pudding. No, no, you've just got to be able to justify your decision over his. That's all. Yeah. You know, when yeah. we talk about the goat, Watto, no matter who um, who I'm talking to, the argument always comes down to whether they prefer who did it first or who did it better, if that makes sense. Like, for example, in football, people are always debating Pele or Lionel Messi. Michael Jordan, nah, Jordan, Kobe, LeBron James. If you are going to have the GOAT discussion, it's got to be the athlete that transcends the sport, that mm. takes it global, that takes a sport that's sort of got a niche that's North American or whatever and takes it bona fide global. So even housewives know the name, even housewives have somehow heard about them, talked about them. Tiger Woods did it to a degree in golf. Mm. Um, and there have been players that have come along and done it. Pelé clearly took football and made it global. And I think all of the... I think Jordan, not just attitude-wise, but in terms of the way he played it, the athleticism, uh, the dynamic side of it, you know, everyone suddenly starts to play like the Jordan way, realise the importance of the supplementary work, the gym work. Um, but also people underestimate the defensive qualities of Michael Jordan, and mm-hmm. I think that's what separates him from the other players. Keith is not having what it, but I, 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 I'm in violent agreement with you. Yeah. No, what, what I, let's go oh, catch up with Johnny Mac, see what he thinks. Yeah, absolutely. Delusional. <laughs> Another one of the great moments 
came the day after Liverpool end up beating Barcelona 4-0 in one of the great performances, arguably the greatest night at Anfield, and nobody thought that maybe that could be outdone. And then Spurs get the job in the very last play, and, well, the Dutch are deflated, and Spurs end up going through to the Champions League final. A player who probably deserved more starting time for Spurs, but only ever seemed to come off the bench. Lucas Moura, wonderful, wonderful goal indeed. Great piece of commentary. Now, um, we're supposed to be having a little bit of a... Is it a quiz? Would you describe it as a quiz? What are we doing now? What? Coming up? No, this is going to be after the break. Oh, after the break. I was just thinking, Watto, you know, we've everyone loves when, when Mark Watson's in the hot seat. Oh, yeah, love for it. Mark yeah, Stafford, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah as it, we can it, tell from double eight double three, the Tampa yeah, Bedpost yeah. text machine. Yeah. What we're going to do is I know a few people are missing out some of the smarts of, of the producer Sammy Hewitt, our wonderful producer. So you know what we're going to do, Watto? Hold the calls. Watto will tell you when to call, but we're bringing back Show Me The Money. Now, Show Me The Money, for those of you who don't know, Watto, myself, Captain K, and Niv will pick a leg, and then we're going to turn to the phones, and one of you, lucky callers, is going to pick a leg. So we've got a four-leg multi with a $50 TAB bonus bet. We're going to chuck that on, and hopefully by Monday, you're a winner. Do we get the money, or do they get it? They get it. They get it all. They get it all. So I don't get any of it? No, you don't get a lick. There's no meritocracy in that. Well, well, how do you spell team, though? Eh? I. What about the one team, one dream? I. One team, one dream. F-O-N-E. One team, one dream approach, though. Love it. Hey, um, someone's saying, hey, Watto, do you have to keep banging on about bloody Liverpool? Dear, oh dear, leave it alone. Not walk alone. Laugh out loud. Jared. Jared, my good man, you'll evolve too, mate, at some point. <laughs> I love it, Jared. It's great. Love the banter, buddy. Keep it up. Hey, uh, why would you play Manchester City audio? Thought you were right, Watto. Now I wonder. Sure, that's not my wife. It's text. Has she ever called herself Brad? I'm just trying to think. Not sure she has. So are we taking calls for that? Yeah, sure. Call in now. 0800 150 If you want to play Show Me The Money, if you want to be the lucky leg, give us a call. Show me the money. Do it. Now, line's open. Are we taking a break? We're taking a break. Show you the money. Show me the money. Show me the money. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. Well, Watto, welcome in. Show me the money. Yeah, no. I thought thought that was my wife. Is that your ringtone? (laughs) Show me the money. Show me the money. Look, it's been a good month since we've uh, actually taken this venture down. Show me the money. And the phone lines reflect that. They're hot. Uh, let's spin the magic wheel, Niv. Can you spin the magic wheel for me? And spinning, spinning. What number have we landed on? We've landed on John from Christchurch. Oh. Good day, John. Good day, Peter. How are you doing today? Very well, John. And, and you? You've been well? You've uh, you've studied up? You've done your form? You've got a tip for us? Yeah, I think uh, we'll get, get something in, but uh, it's a bit of a long shot, but I'm going down the Kiwi Road, so... Um, All right, you hold on to that. You hold on to that, John. We'll come to you. We'll come to you lucky last. We're going to get this out of the way. I thought today we'd start with the one and only Mark Watson. Okay, so I'm going to go English Premier League. I'm going to go my boys Liverpool. They take on Chelsea, neither side at their best, but both teams will come to the occasion. Historically, this has often ended up in a draw. I can't see it being any different. So I'm going to go with Liverpool and Chelsea in a draw. $3.75, what a... Show me Ooh. the money. Show me the money. Niv. DJ Niv in the hot seat. At $3.75 on Watto's bet, I'm going to go a little bit more conservative. Okay. Um, going with the NFL. 
Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Both are high-scoring teams and have porous defences, so I'm going to go on the over-total points paying $1.83, I think. Ooh, conservative wins championships. Show me the money. Mm, I like it. I like it. What I, And if you know what I did, I decided $3.75 and $1.83. I'm going to meet you in the middle. Going to meet you in the middle. I've, I've had a look. I've got a little juicy $2.25, and this is uh, paying a marge. To me, good mate, Izzy Dag. Black Clash this weekend. I'm taking Team Rugby in a controversy to beat Team Cricket. $2.25. That's a big Show call. Me the They're all those old cricketers, aren't they? Show me the money. Yeah, I think we got our two metre Peter coming out to play. I know Vittori's coming out. Vittori got Daggy on a duck, uh, actually, last time. So I saw actually a video of Izzy training. He's looking quite good. So I'm, I'm going to take it. I'm going to back Team Rugby at $2.25. So that means, mm. John, coming to you, you're currently looking at, mate, $15.44. What do you got for us, John? Outstanding. Loving the work. I, um, I'm going to go the Abu Dhabi Classic, uh, the golf. You're picking golf? Yeah, um, golf, yep. And we'll go uh, Foxy. Foxy's going to start his season off in style. Um, top 20 at $2.63. Oh, that's, that's good. That's good. Top 22. Like that. That's conservative. John, I like that. Sure, me the money. Like Should it. be all right. Well, I like the Liverpool one, Liverpool Chelsea, mate. That's good. Yeah, well, someone's got to just make sure that it's actually worth your while. We don't want you walking away with 100 bucks. We're walking away with a $1,000 type figure, don't we? No, it's good. I like it. That's really good. Actually, all, all four picks are good. Actually, I reckon we've got a good shot. I totally agree, mate. No, we totally. I'll shout you a beer if it comes in. I'll be or rude. Two not, or three. Be rude not to, John. Lovely to have you on the program. So, John, Thanks, mate. Thank you very much. What we'll do for you? Hang on the line there. Nev's got your phone number down. Total for uh, the four league multi coming in. All of us combined. What do you just want to have a rough stab in the dark? What do you think this multi's paying? Um, fifty dollars on. Oh, I would have thought you get a couple of grand back if you win this, wouldn't you? That's right. In fact, you get two of them. Brilliant. So, John, hold tight. We'll take you through it one more time. Mark Watson's pick: Liverpool, Chelsea, the El Crapico. They're calling it. <laughs> Both teams struggling this season. Watto's gone for a draw at three dollars seventy-five. DJ Nivs taking a stab at the Kansas City Chiefs versus Jags. Taking the over on points, 52.5 at $1.83. I'm taking Team Rugby to beat Team Cricket in the Black Clash. And John, he likes the look of uh, Ryan Fox, top 20 finish. Yeah, I reckon that's a really good one. I didn't actually know that you get odds on that. Top 20 finish, you should do that comfortably. You'll probably miss the cut. No, he won't. No, he won't. We like Ryan Fox. Um, hey, um, Niv, why don't we just brighten everybody up with a little bit more commentary, mate? Well, what have we got there? Have we got, have we got the might of Liverpool? What have we got, buddy? Pass it over to Kiz. He knows what to play.
Sing it, people. Wind your windows down and sing it. Great, great game. Aregi scores 1-0 at half time. And then Robertson comes off. They decide later to bring on Jenny Wynaldon. In the 53rd minute, they score. A minute later, it's suddenly 3-0. Wynaldon header. And then the quick thinking of Alexander-Arnold to make it 4-0. And suddenly Barcelona with the mighty Messi Suarez. They've got their head down. And what looked like such a simple opportunity to go through a Champions League final was not to be. And of course, Liverpool would then go on and play Spurs and win that 2-0 and win their sixth European Cup and arguably just the most extraordinary of football games. And there's a lot of stadiums around the world that claim and jump up and down about their stadium and the the fortress that it is. But Liverpool-Anfield, it ain't marketing, man. It is real. It happens. And I'd argue that come a Champions League night at Anfield, there is not a better stadium in the world for an atmosphere. You're listening to SENZ. It is coming up to 11 and a half minutes away from three. We'll take a break and we'll come back with more. It's Harness Racing New Zealand pacing for purpose season two. Thursday, Invercargill. Here's your Horse Racing New Zealand tip. Harness Racing New Zealand tip. Race three, number five. Horses called Smart I Am. Two recent seconds, including one to the unbeaten, the Orange Ruffy. Looks like a talented horse with a handy draw. So race three, number five. That is our Harness Racing New Zealand tip for you today. Do gamble responsibly. Remember, you must be 18 years of age and over. We've had some texts come in. Chris, 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 Chris has got a good sense of humour. Chris, he says, got audio for Gerard slip against Chelsea Watto. He was pushed, wasn't he? He didn't slip. He was pushed. He was pushed. That Chelsea team that bought the league that year. Someone saying iconic commentary, Grant Elliott, Superman. Um, this rugby thing that they have on tonight, rugby cricket clash. I, I like the concept. I just cannot stand the alternative cricket commentary. I just find it cringy. I don't even find it funny, to be honest. I just don't. I think some of them are genuinely funny, but the rest are just a bunch of tryhards. It's, and I think it's sort of done its dash, hasn't it? And they actually don't understand that television's different to radio commentary and Sometimes you've just got to shut up. Yeah, it's just my opinion. Commentary is always subjective. We've been focusing a little bit on commentary. Um, but have we got some more commentary, boys? Charged down by Cafu. In towards Gerrard! Oh. Hello! 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 Here we go! Steven Gerrard puts a grain of doubt in the back of Milan minds and gives... Hope to all the many thousands of Liverpool fans. Goes out to you, Chris. Hit by Smitzer. It's in! It's in! Vladimir Smitzer! Two goals in two minutes for Liverpool. Carragher into Barros. He's laid it off. It's Gerard. He was held. He's given the penalty. He's given the penalty. Step up, Chabi Alonso, with a chance to equalise. Yes, equalise for Liverpool. Oh, oh saved by Dina, Chabi Alonso! <laughs> and Mission Impossible is accomplished! Liverpool were 3-0 down five minutes ago. A 
And now, look at that scoreline. Sergio with a great cross, Thomason. Oh, what a save! What a save from Shevchenko by Jesse Dudek. Andrei Shevchenko must score. He must score. There will be no second chances if Shevchenko misses. He saved it! The European Cup is returning to England and to Anfield. Liverpool are champions of Europe again. Yeah, wonderful moment back there in 2005, Atatürk Stadium. I tell you what, get the radio commentary of that with the Liverpool boys on that, and that is just stunning. But that is um, television commentary, clearly, but uh, just wonderful images and commentary works when you put it with the right images, doesn't it? And um, so, yeah, certainly some wonderful moments in sport. And Chris, I hope you enjoyed that, mate. I, I know you're probably humming, you'll never walk alone, wherever you are around the country, my good man. Probably got a Liverpool shirt underneath. Probably got Liverpool underwear on too, haven't you, bro? I know all of you closet Liverpool supporters. It's okay to come out. It's okay to come out, Chris. Okay? Okay? Kiss the ring. Kiss the ring of Kenny Dalgleish. Pope Kenny. The Egyptian king. Mo Salah. Stevie G. And if you can see what I can see, so we've got a camera that goes into the producer's box here and you've got Niv there sitting in his Carlsberg Liverpool away strip, which was sort of a, a tearly green and white. And I mean, he's an attractive man anyway, but that just further enhances his looks. And you just know you've got a high level of intellect. You walk in and go, we're sorted. Don't need to worry about anything. Niv's in his Liverpool shirt. This man gets it. Um... Kieran, really, really intelligent guy until we started talking about Michael Jordan. Now i sort of not 100% sure where I sit with him, uh, the de- degree of intellect. Um, we, another time we do a show, mate, you're going to have to justify why uh, your boy, Kobe, is the greatest of all time. Not that we have a greatest of all time or is amongst the best of all time versus Michael. We'll have a one-hour sit-down, Watto. I don't think we need an hour, mate. <laughs> I really don't. I really don't. It'll be like, oh, I've just given it. Okay, the jury's going to go out. And sort of back in 10 minutes with a decision, you know? It's like, yeah, no, nah, no, nah, you didn't win that one. Oh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't just put Kobe up against Michael. I wouldn't do that. Kobe, I say Kobe's my goat because he's my favourite player of all time. Aesthetically to watch. I think he did Jordan's moves better than Jordan. Ah, but he did Jordan's moves, and that's the point. Exactly. I it's like LeBron James. LeBron Where's number twenty-three? But yeah. Who did? But so did Michael Jordan create the post fadeaway? I don't know. No, he didn't. He learnt it. Did did yeah? But you see, you're picking up little things. You're skewing the statistics in your favour. I mean, Bannister was the first to run the sub four minute mile. Others have gone quicker. Hillary was the first to climb Everest. Others have done it quicker. Others have done it more. But you've got to have the game changer, the enabler. Anyway, we will look for that. Maybe we can have that chat tomorrow. Uh, Maybe we can look at that. Anyway, we are talking the Phoenix. Ricardo Ball up next between three and four. Then it is Stephen McIver with your drive home. Special thanks to Kieran, to Niv. It's been a privilege and a pleasure. I'm about to put on my running shoes, put on my socks, go and put myself on the hurt box and smell the excellence as I run through the streets of Auckland.